Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Paul Halpert will join us to discuss flashes of creation. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world famous question a week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. Science show. Well, how did the universe begin? This is one of the great debates that was perhaps popularized by two men, George Amow and Fred Hoyle. Well, joining us today to discuss this fascinating topic is Professor Paul Halpern. Dr. Halpern is a professor of physics at the University of the Sciences in Philadelphia, the author of 16 popular science books, including The Quantum Labyrinth, Einstein's Dice, Schrodinger's Cat, and Synchronicity. He's a recipient of the Guggenheim Fellowship and is a fellow of the American Physical Society. He has penned the new book, Flashes of Creation, George Gamow, Fred Hoyle, and the Great Big Bang Debate. Dr. Alpern, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Thank you for having me back on the show. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, it is certainly a pleasure to have you back. Certainly enjoyed the last visit, talking about synchronicity, and now here, the Great Big Bang Debate. Well, the title of my book, Flashes of Creation, is kind of a play on words. First of all, it's about the creative process, and secondly, it's about the mystery of how we got here, how the universe emerged, how all matter got here. And the interesting thing is that two physicists, Fred Hoyle and George Gamow, delved into these questions in a brilliant way, in a very creative way, uh, from the 1940s until the 1960s was the heyday of their debate. And they looked at many deep questions, including how are the chemical elements produced from simple hydrogen? Does the universe exist forever or did it have a beginning? These are very, very basic questions. And they were fearless in trying to probe these questions and trying to assert their points of view. And in terms of the origin of the universe, whether or not it was a big bang, they had opposite points of view. George Gamow resolutely thought that the universe had a beginning which he didn't call the Big Bang. He called it lem, which is a, uh, a term from ancient Greek, meaning matter. And Fred Hoyle actually coined the term Big Bang, but he didn't believe in it. On a radio show in 1949, he mentioned Big Bang as kind of something disparaging, this idea that everything started with an explosion, which he thought was kind of a cop-out. He thought, we need to come up with a better way to understand how matter in the universe was created. And he ultimately developed a way of producing the chemical elements in the interiors of stars and produced through supernova. And the amazing thing is that they both were partly right. George Gamow was right that the Big Bang produced very simple elements such as hydrogen and helium. And Fred Hoyle was absolutely correct that most of the elements, including the elements in our bodies, such as uh, carbon and oxygen, are produced in the interiors of stars, not in the Big Bang, and released into space during 
supernova explosions, not during the Big Bang. All of these ideas certainly percolating within the physics community at the time, but they're the ones that brought it to the fore through their debate. That's right. And one of the interesting things is back then there was a role, much more so than today, for individual efforts and for maverick physicists, ones who would just sit and think about a topic and come up with an idea. And nine times out of 10, it could be a crazy idea, but one time out of 10, more if they're lucky, they'd come up with an idea that actually worked and could be tested experimentally. And George Gamow hypothesized that helium was made during the Big Bang. And once that was measured, that turned out to be correct. And his associate, Ralph Alpher, and another physicist, Robert Herman, speculated that there would be energy left over from the Big Bang that we could detect. And they estimated it to be about five degrees above absolute zero. And in 1964, two scientists, Arno Penzias and Robert Wilson, were aiming their horn antenna to look for signals from galaxies and accidentally discovered the hiss left over from the Big Bang. And that turned out to be about three degrees above absolute zero. So that was very, very close to Alfred and Herman's prediction. And Gamov also was very interested in asserting credit for that idea, which other physicists recalculated at that time. This is, of course, the, uh, the so-called cosmic background radiation. That is absolutely correct. And that was found in a really startling way because Penzias was just looking for halos around galaxies, and he was lent a giant horn antenna, which is still there in Homedale, New Jersey, if you want to visit it. It's still, it's open to the public to visit. I went out there and took some photos. It's remarkable because it was originally to detect signals from communication satellites, and then it became kind of outdated. And Bell Labs, which was the company at, at the time, said, okay, well, you guys can use it to try to look for signals from galaxies. And they started aiming it, and they kept hearing this hiss in the background that, were, that they were trying to get rid of. They just thought it was noise. And they ruled out signals from other sources, such as from New York City, from radio stations, from other devices in the area. And then finally, they thought it was pigeon droppings. They called it the white dielectric signals of pigeons. So they went out and trapped the pigeons. And those pigeon traps are, are still in the Smithsonian today. They were donated. And once they trapped all the pigeons, they cleaned off the antenna and got rid of everything. And they still heard a hiss, no matter which way they pointed the antenna. And finally, it turned out that Penzias had talked to another physicist who knew about work by somebody named Bob Dickey and Jim Peebles. Jim Peebles recently got the Nobel Prize, and Bob Dickey was a supervisor. And they were planning to build an antenna to detect signals from the early universe based on a different model. Dickey thought that the universe was cycling and that there was leftover radiation from a previous cycle, but they were just about to build that antenna. And Penzias called Dickey, and Jim Peebles and others were in the office at the time during a brown bag lunch. And all of a sudden, they heard their supervisor 
Bob Dickey talking on the phone, it sounded like somebody else had discovered this radio hiss. And then once Dickey got off the phone, he said, we've been scooped, boys. It's been found. And they drove out to the horn antenna, all of them, and they checked everything. Peebles wrote a paper calculating what that signal should be in terms of temperature and came up with three degrees above absolute zero, which matched Big Bang predictions. And then shortly thereafter, he found out that Gamov's team had made a similar prediction. So he he always calls that reinventing the wheel, that he uh, recalculated it. So each of them should get credit for that. And that turned out to be the cosmic microwave background radiation. Things can come up surprisingly, accidentally. You never know what you might discover. What about Fred Hoyle? What was his theory and how did it fit in? So Fred Hoyle had many different ideas. He was just like Gamov. He was a scientist full of ideas. He came up with the steady state universe along with two other scientists, Tommy Gold and Herman Bondi, surprisingly enough, while they were watching a movie. So in the 1940s, there was a very popular movie in the UK called The Dead of Night, which was a horror movie. And they went into a movie theater in Cambridge to watch this horror movie. And the plot of the horror movie is that somebody goes to a house and feels like he's been there before. And then all these horrible events unfold. I'm not going to give away the plot, but all these horrible things happen. And eventually he wakes up from a nightmare. But then he gets a phone call, which invites him to the same house. And he goes to the house and then all the events occur. So it goes, the movie goes in a complete cycle. And the idea is that he's trapped in the cycle between a nightmare, going to the house, fulfilling the nightmare, and then waking up again, again and again and again. And after they saw this movie, they went back to Bondi's apartment in Cambridge and over drinks, Tommy Gold said, well, what if the universe is like that? What if it just keeps going and it has endless cycles? And the three of them talked about this idea, which became known as the steady state theory of the universe. And the steady state theory still is an expanding universe, The universe expands, but new matter fills in the gap very, very slowly. So single particles trickle into the universe very, very, very slowly. So small that it can't be detected very, very slowly. So then um, what happens is over the eons, these particles cluster. They form seeds of stars. These stars start to burn. And then those stars form galaxies and so forth. And then finally, new galaxies fill in the gaps. So it means that the universe overall is very similar over time. And Gold and Bondi in particular thought this was a really wonderful cosmological model because no matter which place you look in space and no matter which eon you look in at time, the universe seems pretty much the same. So the universe is as stable as you can get. It looks pretty much the same throughout space and looks pretty much the same throughout time. And Einstein had said space and time are connected. So that makes sense. If the universe looks pretty much the same throughout space, there's a logical argument saying, well, it should always look pretty much the same over time. 
Now, the Big Bang Theory says, no, the universe gets bigger and bigger over time. So it looks different over time than it does over space. Because in the Big Bang Theory, new matter doesn't fill in the gaps. So this was a debate from about 1948 until 1965, when Penzias and Wilson's results were calculated, and that pretty much confirmed that there was a Big Bang. But Hoyle continued to retweak the steady state theory and eventually came up with something called the quasi steady state theory in which hydrogen and helium are produced in little bangs on a galactic scale, but the universe still pretty much looks the same over time. That was never very popular, but that was his idea. But meanwhile, the Big Bang theory has become the most popular idea. Hoyle's theory might be a little easier to reconcile. There's always the question now with the Big Bang. Well, what comes before the Big Bang? And that's almost maybe not even a question you could really ask. Yeah, so Hoyle's theory makes sense in some ways philosophically. And he kept holding on to the theory and defending the theory. And then when the cosmic microwave background came out, he briefly became a Big Bang person, maybe for about a year or two, and wrote some papers calculating things about the Big Bang. And then he rethought and he thought, hey, wait a minute, you know, maybe there's another way around this. So that's when he came up with the Little Bangs idea. And also he had a very bizarre idea that space is full of these iron needles, these little iron filings that can't be seen, but they absorb light and re-radiate it. And that's how he explained the cosmic microwave background. I'm not defending that idea, but it was some people thought it was kind of a desperate attempt to reconcile his ideas with evidence. But to his dying day, he thought that one should not necessarily embrace the Big Bang. One should always look at alternatives. So he kept coming up with alternatives. How would you describe both of them personalities and this debate that raged on through the years? Well, interestingly, they had much in common. They both acted in some ways on impulse, although Gamov was more inclined to suggest ideas to people. For example, for a while he was working with the physicist Edward Teller, and he would call Teller every day with a new idea, and most of them didn't get anywhere, but then he would just drop it. Hoyle was more inclined to come up with an idea and then just to keep going with it and keep trying out different variations. But they both kind of worked on hunches, which is a lot harder today to do because science has become full of big labs and huge teams and also people are more cautious. So if you just said, I have a hunch, let's go with it. People might say, hey, wait a minute, run it by the team. It's hard to see the same role for individuals. But the other remarkable thing about them, aside from being mavericks, is that they were visionaries and had a real sense of popularization. They both loved Hollywood. They grew up in the Hollywood era. Hoyle loved movies and so did Gamov. Hoyle's favorite was mystery movies, and he always imagined himself as a kind of detective. And he wrote science fiction stories about detectives and mysteries, and his science fiction stories were very popular. He, he could have been a science fiction writer, and he still would have been very popular, even if he didn't do the science, because he had the sense of reaching out to the public. And Gamov also wrote a lot of popular books, and his favorite kind of movies were Westerns. He saw himself as a cowboy in the frontier. So they both saw themselves as these lone Hollywood figures battling against all odds. And, and they romanticized their lives 
which sounds a little bit arrogant, but the way it came across was that they were these great doers of science that could convey their passion and ideas to the public. So in the 1950s, people were, who were interested in science would listen to Hoyle on the radio, buy his books, and especially, especially in the UK, Hoyle was extremely popular, and Gamov was very popular in the US especially, and he was on TV, and he wrote a lot of popular books, including the Mr. Tompkins series, which was about a banker thrust into this wonderland of quantum reality. And all of the, these books written by both men were very popular. People were debating all the time whether their ideas were right based on their readings of the popular books. And for my book, Flashes of Creation, I found in an archive a letter to Robert Dickey from a child living in the coal mining country of Pennsylvania, asking whether or not the Big Bang Theory was right. This letter was from the 1960s. And I managed to track down the guy, now he's a grown man and a professor, who wrote the letter and asked him about it. And he said, yeah, back then, people everywhere, including in the coal mining country, including remote places, would go to their libraries, maybe a public library, get out books, and have debates maybe in the schoolyard or in the classroom whether or not the universe lasts forever or whether or not it has a beginning. And so people were constantly talking about whether Big Bang versus Steady State is correct. Hard to imagine in today's day and age in which figures like that probably would have trouble gaining prominence. What do you think then? Are the legacies of Gamma and Hoyle, do you think we'll see personalities like that? Or do you think that that time has passed? Well, I think their legacies are taking science and conveying it to the general public, making it palatable. And I think we see that in, in modern popular science writers, although it's a little bit harder for somebody to do real science and popularize it at the same time. The remarkable thing about Hoyle and Gamow is that they were able to continue to write scientific articles while popularizing the same science. So, for example, Gamow wrote a popular book about the mysteries of life and the origin of life, and then he started speculating about RNA and DNA, and he came up with some ideas which ended up being used by Watson and Crick in terms of the genetic code. He came up with the idea of how amino acids could be encoded using genetic material, which was completely outside of his field, but he just thought of it. He imagined shuffling cards and coming up with all the combinations of a deck of cards. And he communicated that to James Watson, and that became part of modern genetics. So it's remarkable that these scientists could span many fields, come up with these bright ideas, and popularize them all the same lifetime. I don't think that's possible today. A lot of people who are top science popularizers are not necessarily actively promoting new ideas. There, there are a few exceptions, I would say. The Nobel laureate Frank Wilczek is amazing because he writes popular books and continuously comes up with new ideas in physics. So that's incredible. But it's, it's a rarity today for people to come up with new ideas, let alone come up with something that's testable and then popularize it.
We were just talking with Dr. Paul Halpern. He's the author of the new book, Flashes of Creation, George Gamow, Fred Hoyle, and the Great Big Bang Debate. Dr. Halpern, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Thank you for having me on the show. It's been a pleasure. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.